There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Joe Diabaldo of Finding Clarity. Joe Diabaldo helps scaling companies make better decisions and build finance teams to fuel breakout growth. He has shaped finance and technology teams at some of Canada's fastest growing companies for more than 20 years. Joe founded Clarity Recruitment in 2012 to transform the recruiting landscape, and he believes that the right hire can change the trajectory of a company and change lives in the process. Earlier in his career, a candidate and friend described Joe as helping her find clarity through his career advice and coaching, and that name stuck. Joe has an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, a Bachelor of Education from my alma mater, the University of Windsor, and a BA in History from McMaster University. Joe, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Thank you, Rick. Really happy to be here. It's great to have you. To start off, what are the most important things that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? What's, what's the key messages? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, as I think about it, I think what I want the listeners to hear is that I understand that hiring is hard. And I know that building that successful strategy is one of the biggest challenges, especially when these companies are growing so quickly. At the same time, they, they know that these hiring decisions, when they go wrong, are incredibly costly. They're difficult to reverse. They disrupt the organization. They slow them down. So we know that it's hard. But the second thing, it doesn't have to be as hard as it is. So good hiring, when you think about it as being process-driven, can let the leaders compare people and find the best option. And the last part is implementing this and implementing a winning hiring strategy is going to accelerate the business. It's going to give them an edge. And I hope today that I can share some tips that lets them start the process and get them to a place where they're building a strong and successful team if they don't have one already. If they have one already, that we can accelerate it. Fantastic. That's uh, That sounds good. So stay tuned. we got a lot to talk about. So can you explain, first of all, what Clarity does? Tell, tell us what it is you do and, and who's your target market? Sure. Um, I like to say that we're niche within niche. So a few years ago, we decided to focus exclusively on fast growth companies and within those fast growth companies to build that pillar of finance. And when you think about it, organizations that take a series A, series B, get bought by private equity, they have intense pressures on them to grow. The challenges that they have, it's almost like taking the life cycle of a company and compressing it down into a much shorter time frame. The highs are highs, the lows are low, and they all come much more quickly. And I thought if we can solve hiring for these companies with the amount of pressure they're under, we can solve it for anyone. So when you think about Clarity, we are in there building that pillar of finance, finding the right people that get you to that next stage of growth. Right. But, but you'll do other positions as well besides finance, but that's the sweet spot. 
Great question. So we have actually just recently moved into what I would say is under the office of the CFO. And in these fast growth companies, that includes technology, you know, and also HR people and talent. So we are doing positions in those two domains at the executive level. But really, it is it is the pillar of finance as the primary focus. Fantastic. And I, I got to ask, um, fast growing companies are often cash short. Is, is this a market that, 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 that can afford to pay for professional services when it comes to recruiting? We, well, I guess we haven't seemed to have a challenge yet. Uh, fast growth companies, when you look at them, many of them are quite well run and they will have a product that is now, they found their product market fit and they're growing and they've attracted capital. And the first thing that they're told is look, get a real CFO in there, get a real VP of finance in there to continue this growth, to help you decide where to make the best bets with this money we've just given you. So what we found is that they're ready for it. Um, and when a private equity company or fund buys one of their assets, what they decide to do is say, we need better information. If there's all these decisions that we need to make to grow this company, we need a really great finance function. So in that case, um, yeah, the money's available. So when, when it's VC funded, as long as at the right time, yes. And when it's private equity funded, it's absolutely necessary. Organic fast growth maybe is what you're seeing where they tend to be operating at the edge of their finances. Uh, but then maybe it's the time to take some capital. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, I, you know, uh, we're told that we should find um, a target market that doesn't just want our services, but desperately needs them is, and is being pushed towards us. So it sounds like you picked the right niche in terms of uh, the, the, the post money companies in particular. So take us on your entrepreneurial journey. Joe, what led you to your passion for hiring and why did you launch Clarity? No, thank you for that question. I, I, think, I think it's a great question because it was a journey to get here. I mean, the website is Finding Clarity. And for me to understand that this is what I wanted to do, you know, you had mentioned that I had an uh, undergrad um, in history. I had a teaching degree. Um, I didn't really know what business was. And I came from a family of teachers. And I was recruited into this industry and watched very carefully at how companies chose to hire and based on the decisions they made how they went faster they went slower and what you realize very quickly is perhaps the most impactful part of the hr and talent stack is the people that you get into the organization and when you hire the right people and you build a strong team it's transformational and this job that i have as a recruiter is quite voyeuristic you get to watch that happen real time you also get to watch the mistakes. So when you have a chance to see that happen, see patterns emerge, and then have a role that allows you to affect it, it becomes addictive. And that's how Clarity was born. Because I realized that if we assemble the right people with the right skills for these clients, we're going to accelerate them. We can help them get alignment and get these people collaborating against a common goal by helping them pick the right people that want that. And I want to help these companies build the right teams and do it quickly. So I've been doing this for two decades now. And at the end of the day, what I've had a chance to watch is people progress from being a senior analyst through to being the CFO of some of the largest brands in Canada. And I find it very rewarding. Okay, there's a missing part there I, that, 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 that I need to ask about because I'm naturally curious. Sure. So you have a teaching degree from the University of Windsor and an MBA from Northwestern. So, so yeah. what happened in between there? Is it a bad experience uh, in grade seven science? <laughs> maybe not for me, maybe for the students. If you had a history <laughs> teacher teaching science. Um, no, I'm, it's interesting because when you come from a family of teachers, teaching is what you know. And when I say a family of teachers, I mean my father, my mother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, my three cousins. Wow. Um, that's in the blood and it's what you move into. And I would like to think that Clarity has teaching in it because a lot of what we do is teach people how to hire effectively. Um, so I've, I've borrowed some of that, but I was, I was a twice failed entrepreneur before I started Clarity. I started a magazine with my parents' credit card in university and book time on the Toronto Star Press. And I didn't really know how to lay out a magazine. I had never sold advertising, but I figured it out. Um, 
lost a lot of money for three months and then made money for three months and broke even and called it quits. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I'm not very good at this. Um, and another one also no long-term future in the magazine business. So no, no, that let's was get smart. over that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another one was just a small, um, web development shop that I was part of. And, and again, not something that I was stellar at, but I really did love engaging with people looking at the requirements for new technology, understanding how projects flowed. Um, and I ended up in recruitment, uh, long story short, because a woman whose daughter I taught in high school came in with her husband to a restaurant that I would bartend at in the evening and remembered me and said, you should come in and I want to talk to you about a role and sprung recruitment on me and brought me into this industry. And I haven't looked back. It brought together a lot of things that I love, which is understanding business, understanding people and how do those all come together? And yeah, it's, it's been a great ride. That is the best career path I've ever heard. Teacher, bartender, recruiter. <laughs> yeah, so I recommend it for everybody. It's, I mean, it's, it, it, it's all about communication. It's all about, I mean, a lot about talking, but also a lot about listening and empathy and understanding and boom, you're, you're helping advice fast growth companies. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting too, Rick is uh, I'm a big fan of understanding what you don't know. And I was a part of a regional recruitment firm for a while and, and really scaled that from what I would call being a small boutique to being the dominant regional player. So I got to, as, as their first hire into um, the fast growth division, I, I watched what could be done. But then I realized what I didn't know. I was running these teams of people. I had hired directors of finance and VPs of finance as my sales team and as my recruitment team. And they were brilliant. And I didn't really understand what they understood. And I chose to go back to school and um, understand you know, management, understand corporate finance, understand strategy, look at how marketing needs to be tied into a strategy and then executed. And that, I think, gave me a skill set that allowed me to start Clarity. Uh, so I knew that I was missing some key skills and I knew where my competencies started and they ended. And I, I decided that I had to improve and I've tried to do that consistently. So that's really interesting. So, so did you like take a year or so off of away from business in order to, to study or did you study part-time for the MBA? No, I didn't take time off business. I, I did the executive program at Kellogg yeah. and, um, it was in addition to, I, I, just to give you a quick story, I did the executive program. I was renovating my house and I was managing two of the, basically the two largest divisions in that organization that I was a part of. And it was a challenge. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it didn't, it didn't take the toll, but it taught me a lot about what my limits were. So it was great. Wow. So I just want to take a minute and just say how cool that is that you saw that you could really accelerate things if you learned more about the needs of your target market. And so you went out there and took this uh, executive MBA course and and powered through it. I don't know how uh, with everything else that was going on in your life. And because so often entrepreneurs are told, you know, wing it, just start and see where it takes you. But you know, there are times when you need to do the work. And uh, so, so you chose to do that work. And, and has that been a, a difference maker for you uh, in running Clarity? I think it's been, um, aside from an incredibly supportive family, it's been the biggest difference. The people I met and the things that I learned throughout the process, those individuals, uh, both the faculty and my colleagues are are still in my life and we're mentors to each other. And some of the problems that I've had to solve in scaling this organization called Clarity wouldn't have been possible without, um, without that network. Um, and when I say that network, I mean the people that were in my cohort and in my class who engage in the problem and say, how can I help? And um, I, I don't know if it's for everybody, but it was definitely what I needed, not having a background in business and not really understanding what frameworks and tools. And, and I want to be clear, like Clarity is not a practice like many recruitment firms are. We're building a company. You know, we have R&D, we have technology development, we have our own corporate finance function. Even though we're 30 something people, like we have, we're designed 
um, like a company that is driving some real difference. And a lot of it comes from what I learned in that program and the people that I met in that program. That is very cool. What does R and what does the R and D division do in a in a, in a recruiting firm? So this is a this we'll is get to hiring in a moment. A minute. No, folks. I, I, I just got to ask this question. It all comes together because <laughs> yeah. I think that <laughs> I think that it's a great question. the The challenge in recruitment is that the problem is framed wrong. And let's look at hiring is a decision that is made over time, and it's often made over time, uh, weeks, days, weeks, months, with imperfect information. And there's a whole body of knowledge that can inform how you might be better at this. And it's behavioral economics, behavioral science, judgment and decision-making. And we had to research how this applies. How do we look at information when we're hiring? How do people first understand the context of where they are? Where am I right now? What is this position I'm hiring for? Why is it necessary? What problems is it designed to solve? On what timeline and capture that context? People think about responsibilities and requirements, but they never think about the context under which those duties are, are being executed. So very quickly, study human behavior and decision-making during the hiring cycle. What do we look at? What do we ignore? Why do we do that? How can we construct workflows and interventions that help people make better decisions once we know what the wrong decisions look like and why they happen. And that's that's the underpinning of clarity. Where possible, we build it into technology. And where we haven't managed to do that, we train the heck out of our team. So you're, you're sort of building a, a, a new models in order to understand how the hiring process works and the impact of it? Yeah. And, and like some little things, you know, uh, a big thing is people talk about bias and hiring. Absolutely. Um, a relevant discussion, you know, what can you do to reduce it? What can you do to stop it from intruding and how can you make better decisions? Very cool. What, 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 what is the output though, from the R and D department? Do they, do you get a little box that you plug in or do you get sort of a better framework for understanding uh, the challenges? So uh, when you say a box that you plug in, can you and you press it? a button and it yeah. fixes everything for you. I mean, that's I what R and D is supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, no, you get better frameworks, yeah. and you get nudges in how you might design the interaction with the client so that you prevent some of the mistakes from happening. So we do build our own platform called Lumify, and it it is a workflow that incorporates some of this. Um, and reduces some of the errors that'll pop up, allows you to more accurately compare people without getting hooked into things that will, will pull you off course. So the output is a series of insights. Some of those get turned into frameworks. Some of them get turned into technology. That sounds so cool. But let's get back to what we came for here, which is uh, recruiting advice for startups and growth companies. Because so often with an early stage company, the decision to hire a new staff member is going to be daunting. And especially when it's something they haven't done before or very often. So how do founders determine when it's the right time to hire somebody new? That's a great question. Um, I think that founders, let's start with the premise that founders and their teams are often capable of doing incredible things. Like they have often a broad set of skills because they need to, but eventually um, we should all realize that there are things that we shouldn't be doing and probably realize that a lack of resources is keeping us in the weeds and it's, it's stopping us from doing the big things that we should be focused on. So for sure, founders are very capable and they can do a lot of different things. The questions that I think they have to ask themselves and I, I ask myself those same questions is what do you do better than anyone else? And what drives the most value for your organization out of those things that you do really, really well? And then the second thing, which is part of that, and I guess the flip side is, what are you doing that you can give away to someone else so you can focus on what drives that value? And the way to think about it is, what could be done better or faster by someone else that would really accelerate the organization? If you ask yourself these questions and you constantly iterate with them, it's like, you know, obviously capital is a constraint to hire at times. And I, I think for sure we have to acknowledge that. But when you're thinking, what do you do better than anyone else? 
And out of those things you do really well, what drives the most value? And then what are you doing that you can give to someone else? So you can focus on driving that value. And out of all those things you can give, which thing, if, if done by someone else, will really move the company forward. And if you keep playing with these two things and iterate with them, I think you're setting your organization up for growth. You're, you're deciding, yes, my role may get more narrow. And yes, all of our roles may get more narrow because other people are going to speed us up by doing these other things that they do better than any of us. My favorite thing of what you just said was about being in the weeds. Um, and I think yeah. every entrepreneur knows what, the, what that means, about getting out of the weeds so you can focus on what you're trying to do. And as you, you say, focus on the stuff you do best, the stuff that drives the most value, and giving away the time sucks, the other duties, the things that you've been doing. Because uh, in, in some companies, the CEO ends up doing things because it's such a terrible job that they don't want to give it to somebody else. <laughs> right. And and but 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 you got to do that. You've got to de defend your time, define your time, and 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 just delegate, 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 and keep going towards that 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 core that you mentioned, where you can drive the most value for the organization. Rick, on that topic, like this will sound strange, but one thing that I'm doing right now is I am doing all first round interviews in the company, and that may sound strange, but. I think it's some of the best time I can spend because I start the conversation by saying, look, there's a series of standard things I'd like to cover, but I'd really like to know what you would like to know. And that if we left here today, that this would feel like, you know, what you need to about the organization, because I think I can, I can close that gap for you if, if we know what those things are and I'll write them down. And it has really streamlined the process and helped us. Now, is it something I'm going to have to do? or or be able to do forever i'm not sure but it is as an experiment it's been really successful for us in helping the right people opt in and people who didn't feel like a fit say hey this isn't for me that's really interesting i mean it it obviously demonstrates how important the, the hiring the right people is how important it is to understand the the sort of universe of candidates out there um and and as you say, you you know you're doing it for a limited time, so you're not stuck in the weeds. You have a clear vision of what you're doing, which probably means you understand the cost, the opportunity costs of what yes. you're doing. So you're able to make a rational judgment and say, I, I can't do this forever, but for now it's really important to build up this knowledge and expertise and insight. I think that's very well said. Uh, what are you finding? Can I ask you a question back? Sure. What... What do you believe? And I think you're interacting with so many entrepreneurs. And if you were to say that you've heard a common statement from them, which is, I know it's time to hire when. I'm always curious about the signals that people see when they're like, it is time. I'm feeling these things. It's time. What are those things that, that entrepreneurs feel when they decide it's time to hire? Yeah, I think, they, I think they get a lot of pressure. I think they take a lot of it onto themselves because they're so concerned about running lean that they're really um, keen uh, to, to, to keep it that way. They're, they're, they're motivated by inertia as so many uh, non-entrepreneurs are. So I think it's, it, it, it's, I don't think it's a, a, I don't think it's systemized. I think in many cases it's just instinctual that, you know, I, I can't keep putting this off anymore. Um, when my wife or spouse uh, says to me, you know, hey, you came to bed at 2 a.m. again last night, yeah. then that's when I know I've, I need to get help. And and that's why, you know, we're having this conversation because I think so many entrepreneurs need to be helped to get over this hurdle because the process of hiring and the economics of hiring are not anything that, that most entrepreneurs have ever learned. They haven't had that opportunity. And, uh, you know, many entrepreneurs have coaches and mentors to guide them, but most of them don't. And uh, those without uh, friendly venture capital backers, investors, and, and mentors, just every one of them has to figure it out for themselves. Right. Huh. Are there functions that they avoid hiring into more often than others? That's probably a little deeper than, than, than I can go. I would say that finance is because uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, again, don't have that Kellogg MBA and they don't realize that, that, that finance 
is a creative art. They see it as, you know, bean counting or whatever. So, and, and it's an area they don't understand. And we tend to shun the areas we don't understand rather than open our arms and welcome them and say, hey, let's learn together. So there, 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 there's so many um, characteristics of entrepreneurs that are, that, that are positive, that, that move them forward. But I think we all need a little bit more process around things like this. Um, and, and I've always said, as, 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 you, as you implied earlier, that the leadership of a growing company is essentially an exercise in divesting for the, uh, for the entrepreneur, not divesting money, but divesting chores. Because at the beginning, you're doing everything, including, as, and they, they love to tell me, they're scrubbing the toilet bowl. But, uh, yeah. but, but, but you got to give that stuff up. And it's a never-ending process. It's a continuing process as you get closer and closer to where you can add the most value. And as you do that, of course, it's a force multiplier. So you end up getting to be the best you can be because chances are you're not the best person to be going over the numbers or we're still punching in the numbers every night. Agreed. Joe, what's the number one hiring mistake that you see entrepreneurs making? I have to tell you, I don't think it's just the entrepreneurs. I think it's all of us. It's everybody. Um, That's good to know. Yeah. Like I think that people rely on their instinct and they rely on their previous experiences, their knowledge when they're hiring talent. And the hard part to wrap your mind around, the challenge is in the subtlety of it, which is unless you've done this before, hired for this specific position under similar circumstances repeatedly, it's a pretty good chance that you might not really know what you're doing to the degree that you should. And that comes back to the same thing that I feel about myself all the time, which is what's my circle of competence? Like, where am I, where am I really good at something? And then where does that diminish? And who should I ask for help from when it diminishes to give me those inputs to calibrate? Like, what am I an expert in? What am I capable of? Where am I lost? And asking myself that question constantly when I'm hiring, and I'll give you an example, we hired a head of marketing for Clarity. And although we had hired a director of marketing, the head of was going to be sitting on the leadership team and was going to have a whole different set of responsibilities and, and different goals associated with it. And what I realized was we need help. So we spoke to CMOs, we spoke to people to get inputs. Um, and, and knowing what we didn't know was the first step in understanding the talent that we needed to get. Um, and then, like, I would say too many people are making a mistake where they're not considering what they don't know and then bringing in experts. Interesting. So so just tell me a little bit more about that. So you um, you actually went out to talk to other CMOs and said, we're not, this isn't an interview. We just want to pick your brains. Yeah. And we also talked to recruitment firms in the space. So if you think about it, um, we were very specific, which is we are a services company. We've grown it. We're a fast growth services company. We have aspirations that take us to this level over time. This is the structure that we have. What are the right competencies to have inside of this person? And, and where are we asking for too much? Because the hard thing to think about is what are the what is the organization going to evolve into over the next three, six, nine, 12, 18 months? In growth companies, that that can be, I mean, in a services company not growing as fast as a SaaS company, but it can grow 50%, 100%. And what challenges will that present? And therefore, what level should we hire at? And what should we be paying? And do all of these things that we want actually exist in one individual or do we split the role and make it two? So we talked to CMOs, we talked to recruiters, um, we talked to people who were just below that role uh, at the director level, and we looked at companies of different sizes. When you say you're talking to other recruiters, are you talking to competitors? We're talking, so because we're specialized, we don't see ourselves as competing with other specialist firms. So we talk to recruitment firms that are specialized in the placement of marketers. Um, and we talk to some executive search firms too. Right. Um, I so often find myself saying to people, you know, it's okay to ask for help. So you asked for help. and Constantly. And were people glad to give it to you? Or do they look upon you as saying, puny weakling, we don't need to help you? <laughs> Oh my goodness, maybe they did. And I just didn't know. <laughs> maybe I showed my hand. Now we're under threat. I'm terrified. Um, I, I would say that people are, are willing to help. And I think some of that comes back to the fact that we give our time to people as well. 
we answer the questions that they have. And we know that it it isn't always a transactional thing. It's something which is like things come back to you, spend your time answering questions. And ideally, the person that you're talking to has done some of the research on their own. And I think that that's how we present. We've done some research on our own. We need to ask some clarifying questions. So that's great. Figure out what you don't know and ask for help. Um, you know, I yep. mean, obviously that applies in every area of the entrepreneurial journey, but I think that the people who, who are good at reaching out, who build that network are going to do the best. So I watched a YouTube video about a session that you had at the Deloitte Technology Fast 50 Virtual Summit uh, mm -hmm. back in 2020. And you had a great quote. You said, nobody teaches you how to hire. You don't get to practice. That's when you get overwhelmed and cognitive biases creep in, leading to mm -hmm. bad decisions. Can you explain the role cognitive biases have in hiring? So I want to start by saying there's a ton of things that we as humans do that keep us safe. We have these little mental shortcuts. And those mental shortcuts help us simplify our lives and, and make decisions. They keep us safe. They keep us productive. Um, and when you see bias, it's typically those mental shortcuts gone wrong. And they might have helped you in the past make an effective hire in a certain domain. And it may have helped you hire someone when you were a $2 million company, but now you've taken venture capital and you've, you're at a run rate, an ARR of 25 million, and you're way more complex. And those little rules of thumb and shortcuts you were using really don't apply to the context that you're in now. So when I did that presentation with Deloitte, I want to show how quickly you could change people's minds by introducing new information and changing the context and to show how susceptible we are to our own opinions. So what I did, and it felt, it feels a little bit unfair to do that to people because you know what's going to happen, but it's, it's quite illustrative of what they're going to go through when they're hiring. So I said to people, pick the best performer. And I put three profiles up on the screen and there were three headshots. I didn't tell them the best performer for what, which was the first trick. I didn't give them a job. I said, just pick the best performer. So I boxed them in and I got them into a decision mode without even the right kind of context. And then I started introducing, I said, I'm gonna keep flipping slides. And each time I do, these three individuals will get a new piece of information. I, wa I watched this part, by the way, it was really interesting. Yeah, keep going. It's neat, eh? And, and I said, listen, what I want you to do is record who your pick is on each slide. And when I flipped it first, it had their description, their, sorry, their job title and the company they were at. And people would look at the company and be like, okay, that person worked at Google. And I flipped it again. And someone will have said that Google person is the top performer simply because they recognize the name. And one of the other people at Harvard as a school. So suddenly they're trying to calculate and compare how does a Harvard alum compare to a Google employee? Hmm, who's better? And they would often shift. So just by introducing new pieces of information, I would move their ranking of people. And by the end, some people had changed their opinion three or four times. Now think about what happens when you're hiring over for six weeks. You're seeing hundreds of resumes. Think about how your opinion of a school or a company creep in and, and really change your decision tree or your decision criteria. And people will say that they're consistent and they are consistently inconsistent. We <laughs> react to this information. And people reached out to me afterwards and said, that was shocking on how quickly you had us changing our mind. And I'm like, well, it's, it's what happens to us. So that bias of like, it's a Harvard person, they're the best. It's a Google employee, Google's incredible. And the, the secret was some of them actually didn't even have a finance function in Canada. I don't believe Google has a finance function in Canada. So it was also a trick there. So I didn't give them a job description. Some of these weren't, weren't really accurate information and people would still shift based on their impression of the organization or the school. That's a bias. And so what, what, what do we take away from that? Just if, we, if we're aware of our biases, then we can hopefully be a little better at filtering through them? I think that what you have to do, and, and this can tie to really some principles on how to think about hiring, I think that you really have to decide what is important and what isn't. And most often, school isn't important, so don't include it as a decision criteria and remove it entirely. I think you have to look at is the company that important? Because if I were to, if I were to say to someone, um, company is the most important thing, and I say that often enough, they're actually going to just stare at the company for the whole time. So that hiring authority that we're dealing with, that manager needs to think about 
what are the knockouts that matter? And they write them on a spreadsheet. And those knockouts can be what kind of work has someone done and how competent are they at certain skills? And those are must-haves, possibly nice-to-haves, and then they just fill in a grid. And it sounds very basic, and it sounds like a, a, a structured process, but it will help them avoid these things like shiny object, look at Google, shiny object, look at Harvard. Just decide what's important and make the decisions off of those things. Well, one of the 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 biases that people have is someone who talks like me, looks like me, has similarities yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, it, do you see that as being an issue in, in, in this sector? I do. I believe this, and we haven't tested this out, so I want to be careful what I say, but there's a joke that if you want to make a placement in the recruitment industry, you show the hiring authority someone who is just like them, <laughs> who made similar choices in their life, who went to a similar school, and then you know, and, and I can't tell you the number of times that I don't pick up on something and clients like, I love this person. They were a swimmer at um, U of T and so was I. And I'm like, I, it's not your it's not your decision <laughs> criteria. That doesn't have anything to do with the fact that we're doing strategy, strategic planning in the finance function, but they anchor on that. So absolutely, you're right in that. We've seen that repeatedly. Now, now again, I, I haven't tested this um, using a research function, but it, it anecdotally, sure. It seems to hold true. Yeah. Now we're hearing so much more about the 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 diversity is not just a nice to have, that it's a must have because it does bring in new frames of references, new ways of looking at problems, new n- new networks, um, and new points of view. Do you see businesses moving towards diversity and away from those? cognitive biases, the old, uh, I got a gut feeling that this guy who looks like me is going to be really good in this job. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I, I have seen um, clients specifically put a spotlight on the fact that we're building a diverse team. Um, and we have a responsibility, like exceptional talent is everywhere. And we have to find that and seek it out and create those opportunities for candidates to showcase their skills. And we tell the clients that. So I think we, in the side of these growth companies, we have a receptive audience. And, and when people come to us, what's nice about where we've, we've arrived is there's a degree of trust because there's a consistency to the way we apply our approach and they've had good results. So, so they do say, fine, I'm, I'm interested in the way that we're doing this. And we, we've, we've been responsible for building the entire team at some of these uh, fast growth companies, like that entire finance team. You know, I can think of one energy company where we helped them build a team of, I think, 12 people in a matter of six months. And um, they said, look, the way that you approach this, the way you helped us understand our decisions and which ones we were making and what trade-offs were necessary um, throughout that process, they were really happy about it. And they were very receptive and they articulate the need for a diverse candidate pool. That's a beautiful story. But uh, tell me, Joe, what are some guiding principles that all of us can use to get better at hiring? Good question. Um, I'm going to try to make this easy. So the number one takeaway from this conversation should be that the hiring process needs a real structure to it. And I'm just going to give you what we tell our clients, whether they're dealing with us or not, and what we follow at Clarity. So number one, like here are the principles that you can write down and use. Number one, sweat the job description. And what I'm saying is don't just write down a set of responsibilities, which are here's what someone is doing and requirements, which are here's what someone should have in terms of skill and experience to to get this job. Sweat the job description and think about what are the three, six, nine, 12 month challenges. Maybe just do three months, do one year and put those down. Like that's really the deliverables that someone has to hit. Think about what problems is someone going to encounter when they join the company? We talk to clients all the time and I say the individual who joins an organization that has had, you know, half of the finance function turnover and can join and solve these problems of not having clear direction is very different than the individual coming from a very structured environment. So capture the context. What are the problems in the company? Is is there the data mature? Can I get help from someone? Are we in the same office? Like, how am I doing my job? Um, Establish knockout criteria. That's principle two. What are the things that have to be there? And those are your non-negotiable. And then think about 
the skills that have to be at a minimum threshold where if they, you know, if they're a six out of 10, they're good enough and seven, eight, nine, 10 don't matter. So have your knockouts where like this has to be there and then think of your threshold skills. This next one, I can't emphasize enough, conduct a structured interview, preferably the same person at the same round and collect the same information. Don't freestyle without collecting that same information. You can have a very fluid conversation. You and I are talking today, but within that fluid conversation, there has to be the capturing of very specific information. And I want people to think about culture and think about it in a different way than we've probably been taught, which is principle four. Culture is what happens when I am doing my work. How does, how does it feel to experience the work that I am doing? And it happens within a team. And it happens between teams of teams. Culture is guided and, and, and directed by you know, organizational values and visions and principles. And, and the organization should feel somewhat similar in different areas. But the culture is at a team level and between teams of teams. And then the last thing, which I would say would get you a much better outcome if you decided to do it, was seek truth in work samples. And we pay people to do a simulated work sample. We say, here is the engagement that you are either recruiting on or that the client group that you are targeting, or this is the marketing uh, strategy plan that we are considering. And we have that person execute a work sample and we pay them to do it because they're giving you their time. And too many companies, I believe, go around asking for free consulting. And I, I want someone to put something great down and showcase their skill. So to repeat those for you, sweat the job description, get the context. What's your organization going through? Has that team had turnover? Is the system really poor? Is Are there data issues? Number two, get your knockout criteria on skills clear. What are the must-haves? And then what are the minimum threshold skills where it just has to be above a certain level? Number three, conduct structured interview. Number four, understand that culture happens within the team. So capture the team's culture and capture the culture that is evolving between multiple teams. And finally, number five, have them do a work sample. Run them through a simulation so you see what they produce. That's a, a, a great list of things. I'm really interested in, in number five there, getting people to do some work. So, so can you give me a couple examples of, of what that means on the finance side? I mean, do you get them to analyze your balance sheet? Uh, what kind of projects do you give them? So we've, we've recommended, and this is interesting because we've, the work sample is easy for us to implement at Clarity for ourselves. It is difficult to get our clients to implement. So my recommendation is that we create their own simulation because it's largely dependent on what they're experiencing but yeah i mean if it's a role that requires them to analyze a balance sheet in the future you can have them do that and it can be your current balance sheet if you're public it can be a mock-up of one that you pull from somewhere and and the interesting thing is you can you can google different cases to use and simulations to use with people and and buy them right these cases exist so we actually aren't at a stage where we can give our clients, here's the case you give them. And I don't think we want to be there. But at Clarity, we are, we are using cases and simulations for every hire. And are you finding that that your clients, are, the, are they adopting that? Because that sounds like something that requires a little bit of preparation, a little bit of creative, creative thinking, and then obviously the, the, the guts to ask for the work and then analyze it and 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 make yeah. make some sort of and draw some sort of conclusion from that. That 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 that's a lot of work. It is. I would say you're asking me, I can't give you a percentage. Some are, some are not. They're great discussions when we talk to the ones that are though. Yeah. And and why they're doing it. Um it's often because they've been through that experience. Either they had that as a standard practice at a previous company or they had to perform a work sample themselves and they're like, this really tested my ability and it made me more bought in. And what I want to tell you is when you have a structured approach that you communicate upfront to a candidate, and I guess that should be principle six, communicate your process to the candidate at the first interview, show them it on the screen and say, look, I want you to know that it's going to take X amount of weeks. And these are the things that we're going to go through together. And along the way, if this feels like a bad fit, you can let us know, but this is the process. And when you communicate that upfront, the buy-in is fantastic. The candidate is like, I, I don't get this kind of breakdown ever. It feels like I don't know what's going to happen next when I'm in other processes, and they appreciate it. So you drive a real level of engagement with your candidate pool. And it's interesting because my uh, 
quick cognitive bias tells me that the candidate who understands and appreciates the process and your discussion of it up front, they're the ones you want on your team. <laughs> they're the ones yeah. who understand process, believe in clear communication, give feedback themselves. Oh, maybe that's the case. I mean, it's funny, right? Like, I'll give you a, a quick joke. Um, the idea that doing work for someone, if you choose to do it, you actually convince yourself that you like that person. Our head of behavioral science that we had, brilliant guy, um, he's now the head of people analytics uh, for Novartis mm. and like head of behavioral science and people analytics at Novartis. And and he was with us for five years. He used to do something to me where he'd be like, Joe, can you grab me a coffee? I'm like, yeah, sure. And he explained to me later that literally if you ask someone to do you a favor like that, and I don't know how true this is because he was a very funny guy. <laughs> he was an academic who, he was the strangest academic ever, like very, very interesting guy and, and very bright and very entertaining. He said, by asking someone to get you a coffee, they say, do I want to get him a coffee? I guess I, I do want to get him a coffee. I only get coffee with people that I really like. Therefore, I must like I must like Alex. Like I'm asking myself these questions along the way. I'm like, so let me understand this. You were using whatever mind meld trick to make me like you more. He goes, absolutely. I'm like, okay. So I'm not sure if that's true, but apparently according to him, it is. Asking people to do work for you has them more attached to an opportunity or to you as an individual because they have to decide they like you. <laughs> the next podcast we do, we're going to talk about Vulcan mind tricks to succeed at Absolutely. business. Absolutely. Let's I do think, it. I think that sounds like a great idea. Who knew behavioral psychology <laughs> could be so much I just, fun? <laughs> I, I felt I felt so hacked, and yet I felt I was laughing out loud. So it wasn't a bad thing. Yeah, funny. I got to ask you, this is a, a, a bugbear of mine. Um, if, a, if a new recruit isn't working out, how patient should the entrepreneur be how many chances would you give them i think it's largely dependent there's a series of things that you should be watching and and i think that those things should be written down like something as simple as the milestones that you would like them to hit and are they hitting those you know plus or minus a week of when you're looking for them depending on what kind of hire or a month or two um you need to be looking at those but they need to be be captured based on what your expectation is by month two we're looking for this by month six we're looking for this if someone just can't perform the job understanding why is it a training issue um or is it an interest issue I, I think that once it's an interest issue i think you're pretty far down the path of having to make a decision if it's a training issue and it can be be fixed and remediated do it so your long answer to probably you wanted a short answer but it depends and it depends on have you accurately captured what you're looking for from this person on the right timeline? And is it a skill or an interest level, skill or will on this? And where someone doesn't want to be doing the work, if they're missing everything, they know they don't fit, you know they don't fit. I think you should be really fair to one another and have a conversation and end it. So we we have very honest conversations with people in our company. Um, at least I believe we do. And, and where there isn't a fit, we make the decision very quickly. It sounds, it sounds like a plan. I like it. Okay. Two quick questions and, uh, and we'll be done here. Joe Diabaldo, if an entrepreneur wants to get better at recruiting, whether they want to do it themselves or just better understand the process, what's the best one-stop source for learning more about this topic? Is there a book, a course, a, a YouTube video? Oh boy. I don't think it needs to be a book or a YouTube video. Look, the, the podcast, um, aside from yours that I listen to all the time, uh, I listen to the Knowledge Project. And I think that that is one um, from the publisher of the website, Farnham Street, FS.blog. And I think a lot of the decision-making tools are in there. And he seems to have a real interest in hiring effectively. Um, but I would say one book that you could read that would help you in understanding how this decision is often going wrong in hiring, um, is Adam Grant. Think again, and, and it'll give you some tools in there. Um, it doesn't have to be that complex though, with a bunch of research, like build a good hiring strategy by looking at it and saying a good hiring strategy includes a really, really good process that I'm going to execute consistently. It's not going to be easy but the consistency and the process make it easier. And that's the ultimate secret, is this consistency and the application of rigor to it. 
Fantastic. Okay, final question, and this is the question we almost always end on. What is the most actionable piece of advice that you can give to our entrepreneur listeners that they can implement in their business today? I'm going to come back to what I said earlier, and I'm going to combine it with something else. Know where you are and know what you know. Understand the nature of where you are, and that means you as a leader and the state of the organization. And if you're a founder and you're growing a team that's 20, and we deal with founders who are going from 20 to 80 in a matter of months, um, you have to capture that context at the moment in time and know what is coming over the next six and 12 months. Write that down. And then seek to understand, seek understanding or, or advice from people who know where you're going and be specific with your questions to them. I'm hiring a CFO. I have never done it before. This is what I believe we need. And, and we are looking to accomplish these things. Am I targeting the right kind of person? And does this exist? Get the inputs so that you can actually craft the right kind of role for the right kind of individual because you can end up hiring the wrong person if you don't know where you are and you don't know the limits of your knowledge. All right. I think you snuck quite a few tips into that last final question. Um, and is it I too think, much? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it's great. Okay. Um, and the most important thing is, you know, to ask for help. And I love what you said about, you know, uh, ask specific questions. Make sure you, you understand exactly the problem you're facing. And the more specific your question, I think the better the answer is going to be. So thank you so much, Jody Abaldo of Clarity Recruitment in Mississauga, Ontario. Um, we've had a great conversation about uh, uh, the recruiting process, how it works for growth companies, what growth leaders can do to uh, get closer to clarity themselves, which I think is so important. We talked about uh divesting, getting rid of all the tasks that you don't like doing every day, or maybe you're not the best at doing them so that you can get closer to, 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 to building your core and creating the most value. So um, HR obviously isn't just a, a maintenance function, not just a caretaking function, but it's an important part of your growth and the growth of your company. So Joe, thank you so much for explaining that to us. Rick, thank you. I actually really appreciate the insight and the answers that you gave as well. Um, they were on point. So this has been a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing to build the capacity and, 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 uh, and the, the, the power of fast growing companies, because I think they're the, they're the future and uh, they need all the help they can get. And I'm so glad you're out there helping to build their finance teams. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. We'll talk again. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence. <laughs>